everybody. Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe. We're coming to you Sunday afternoon on December 27th following the Mavericks' uh, amazing, thorough, emphatic 124-73 victory over the Los Angeles Clippers. Josh, how are you? I am doing pretty good. Uh, that was a much-needed uh, release, I would say, <laughs> today. I think if the Mavericks would have lost this game, I think I would have logged off the internet forever and never come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny because, you know, we didn't talk about this, but starting 0-3 was a real possibility just because road trips are hard and all three of these teams are good. And so that they, you know, bounced back from a pretty brutal Lakers uh, loss to, to just absolutely hand it to the Clippers feels really good. Now, the Clippers were without Kawhi Leonard, but this one got out of hand early and then really stayed that way. The The Mavericks notched a 50-point halftime lead, which is uh, now in the record books for the largest halftime lead in an NBA game ever. I did some research while kind of looking into this, and there's been in the neighborhood of 50,000 NBA games played over the course of history, and the Mavericks now hold this random uh, pretty awesome record, so... Well, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of struggling to come up with, with takeaways from this because it sort of circles back to the fact that what the Mavericks needed, you know, they needed Luka to play a little better, which, you know, statistically he played good in two games, and then they needed the rest of the team to play better. And, and that's where everybody else started to come through, uh, at least against the Clippers this afternoon. Yeah, certainly. And I think it just helped that they got a – I mean, even though it's the Clippers uh, and <laughs> – they're, uh, you know, a tremendous team and they just, you know, they beat the Mavericks in the playoffs last year. This was somewhat of a better matchup for the Mavericks right now, just for the fact that, uh, you know, I do not think we were going to see a starting lineup change with Dwight Powell as much as I know a lot of people wanted to see that. I just, you know, just knowing the Mavs, I just didn't expect that to happen this early yet. And then also it just made more sense, like, you know, with DeAndre Ayton in the, in the season opener and then Anthony Davis in the second game. Um, it, it, you know, Powell just had no place on the floor in, in those games, especially yeah. coming back from his Achilles injury. And now you play against the Clippers team uh, that starts kind of a similar type lineup to the Mavs with Nicholas Batum at the four and Abaka at the five. Like it actually, as as much as people were sick of Dwight Powell after two games, this was actually a very good Dwight Powell matchup, and he looked significantly better uh i know he only had one shot and four points and four rebounds in 18 minutes but just in terms of the offense looking better in terms of him doing his job as a screen and roller and opening things up for the rest of the team that's much easier to do when you are playing a team that also does a more four out kind of offenses isn't playing a big bruiser uh, you know, Abaka at center is not a huge, you know, he's, a, you know, not a huge dude like Anthony Davis or DeAndre Ayton. So it just made sense. And I think, you know, that combined with some subtle rotation changes and then obviously the team just kind of kicking themselves in the ass and, and waking up a little bit. I think that all contributed to what we saw. Well, it also helped, at least in terms of Powell, like Luca was in his bag early and often. If you're if you're looking at Luca's stat line, it is an impressive but not overwhelming 24 points, eight assists, and nine rebounds. He only shot eight of eighteen from the floor. He missed all five threes. He did get to the line nine times, hitting eight of them, which was great. But the shots that Luca did make were the kind of shot that just makes you shake your head. He hit, I want to say three mid-range kind of turnaround just very you know 
unbelievably difficult shots that looked easy. And then in the lane, he hit a floater early. He hit kissed a couple off the glass in an incredible way. Just really, really, you know, showing his full array of moves. And so when when that's happening, it really doesn't matter how Dwight looked. Um, the, I noticed a couple of times that with switches, the Clippers were fine just having Patrick Beverly hanging out near Powell on the baseline. They didn't really fear Powell. But, again, it, it didn't matter because the rest of the Mavericks played well. Um, if you're looking kind of at the shot distribution, the Mavericks shot just under 50%. You know, their their three-pointers kind of went down late. You know, and Luca again, went 0 for 5. You know, Hardaway and Richardson went a combined 8 of 16 from 3. If that happens, the Mavs are going to be hard to beat. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I, I've been reading, I'm reading this in real time. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith went 2 of 4. So that's your other your other three starters, other than Luca and Powell, went 10 of 20 from the three-point line. When that happens, the Mavericks are going to be unbeatable. Um, it's, it's just the Nate, like it might not be a mar. It's never going to be a margin like this. This is an all timer, um, in terms of a, a butt kicking, but there was, it was just really impressive to watch how the starters kind of flowed and then things got out of hand, which, which allowed, you know, a lot of other interesting things to happen off the bench in, in a way that, you know, I'd like to dive into if I can do a rewatch later, I'm going to, because I thought that the second unit in particular did some things that I had been hoping for, but I had no, I just did not think we would see them this early in the season. Yeah. Uh, Rick has thrown out the Brunson Burke uh, lineups very, uh, very quickly, which is, you know, I know Rick likes to throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see if it sticks, but I was very surprised that he was willing to abandon that after really just one game because those mm-hmm. two didn't really play a lot against the Lakers either. And I think we've talked about it on the podcast. I think I wrote about it after the Suns game. I mean, it just made sense. I mean, Brunson and Burke are basically, for all intents and purposes, they're the same player in terms of just smaller shoot-first guards that aren't necessarily the guys that are going to set up your offense, but they are kind of guys that can cook a little bit when you need some some points off the bench. And when you have both of them on the floor at the same time, it kind of cancels one of them out because the other guy is just kind of standing around watching while the other guys, you know, you know, dribbling a bunch. Uh, and I don't think either of them are fearful enough off ball players uh, for that to make a, you know, that for that to make enough sense. So, you know, Burke played, came off the bench in the first quarter uh, and played with kind of a mix mash unit that was starters and second unit looked great. And then Brunson came in to start the second quarter without Burke with James Johnson on the floor at Kirk. You'll, you know, I know this was big for you with James Johnson handling the ball a lot. And Brunson was just basically given the directive of, Hey, when you have the ball, you know, take advantage of your matchup and try to score. And he did. And he did. Yeah. And he looks significantly better when he's not asked to run an offense. Uh, and, and that's his game. When he's catching the ball on the wing, and actually I want to talk about Johnson first. I'd be curious to know um, if if James Johnson held, like handled the ball more by design or by situation. I mean, he was the team's second leading rebounder. He had he had eight boards. He he had scored. He did a little bit of everything. If you look at the box score, he had two offensive rebounds, eight total boards, five points, three assists, and two steals. Just kind of the 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 Swiss Army knife that he had been touted. Which was really fun to watch, and so he ended up pushing on breaks a lot, um, and and just kind of you know distributing the ball because the Mavericks actually ran more than I think they've ran in a while, uh, if memory serves, which was just fun to watch. And and 
you know, Johnson just sort of looks all over the floor. I mean, I've been kicking Brunson, not because he's he's bad, but because I think he's miscast. You know, Villano- uh, Villanova gets the most out of their players. And when you're playing in college and you're significantly better than everybody else, a guy like Brunson's going to be able to take advantage, which is what he did. Uh, but in the NBA, there's more length, there's more quickness. And, and some of the stuff that he tries to get away with, when it doesn't work, it is horrendous. And prior to this game, in the first two games of the season, he had turnovers on 30% of his possessions. That's horrible for a backup. Um, and, and watching him tonight, he he was tasked with really simple stuff. And as a result, I, I, I thought that he was a heck of a lot more effective. You know, his stat line was good. 11 points, three assists, two rebounds. He had a really cool alley-oop to Willie Cauley-Stein, which was nice. No and turnovers. And zero turnovers, which is big for me, just because I can't handle backups having having turnovers. It's it's just, I mean, the Mavericks as a team, geez, only had six turnovers, which is pretty pretty impressive. Um, but I don't know. It was it was just a really it was a really fun game. I'm I'm glad to to have seen it. I I want to know um, what your thoughts were on the Willie Cauley Stein minutes because he led the team in plus minus at plus thirty one in just eighteen minutes. Yeah, I mean, he was, it was night and day difference between the L.A. game, and I think that's just going to be his M.O. Like, I just don't think that you are going to be able to see him consistently do what he did today game to game, but it's obvious that he's capable of it. So uh, I understand that the Mavericks fan base wants to see him start instead of Powell in games like, you know, games like today, this afternoon. Uh, obviously, that makes the case for it, but, you know, as a reminder, he looked like he looked he was invisible in that Lakers game so you kind of have to take the good with the bad with him uh and you just kind of have to see what you get out of him when he comes off the bench and Mm -hmm. you can kind of tell early with him when he's gonna have it because just the way he moves and his engagement level uh when he when that's on which I think it was very early uh, in this game when he came off the bench then yeah you just ride that as long as you can uh and I think going forward really with Collie Stein and, and the five and who should start and who should come off the bench. I really think the Mavericks need to be flexible going forward until KP is back. And it should be, I mean, it never should be this simple, but I almost feel like it is like, yeah. does the opponent have a big man that can score? Yes. Dwight Powell should not start. No mm-hmm. start Powell. It's okay. Uh, I really feel like that's the way they should go because you know, it just doesn't look good when you have Dwight Powell guarding. Well, they like got to be quick. With, I think yes. above all else, they got to be quick with the hook. Yeah. If it's not working, you don't stick with it for seven minutes. Yeah, and it was, and then it was great to see Collie Stein finish some plays near the rim. Uh, he had that really great and one dunk off a pass that he had to catch below his knees, and he was able to yes. gather himself, get fat. Like, I mean, it's all there. Like. Even you know you and my uh, me and me and you when we've kind of disparaged Kali Stein, I don't think it's ever been because we don't think he's capable of doing the things that he does when he plays well. It's just more can he string together two or three games in a row where he looks like this, uh, and that's the that's been his problem his whole career. It's it's always flashes, and it's never uh, a consistent sustained effort. So. He's got one game in the bag today where we could say he looked great, and let's see if he can keep that going against Charlotte uh, well, this the, week. I do want to talk about that catch because it was yeah. a pass from Dorian <laughs> Finney-Smith who was doing the, uh, the 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 dribbling from the office where he just is co- totally out of control and he throws a pass at Willie's knees. For a seven-foot-tall man on the run to grab that pass at the knees displays the kind of athletic – um, just just the athletic prowess of of Collie Stein, let alone dunking it. Like the catch was, I was just in shock because 
you know, you just don't see stuff like that outside of a very few NBA bigs. So it's just that that was that was what's there, and it's 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 pretty incredible to see. With with some of the other things that that were going on in the game, I, I don't know because the game was over with by halftime, and the fact that the Mavericks, <laughs> you know, they allowed the Clippers to go on a 10-0 run, and I thought I was like, ah, oh, you know what, this is just going to be one of those games where the Clippers work their way back in, and we're going to have to, you know. We're going to talk about the first half and then kind of hand wave at the second half as much as, you know, as Mavericks in history just have a tendency to do that. Which team wouldn't when you get up by 50 points? The fact that they came back and actually kept the, the 50 point margin is is pretty bananas to me. They kept the pressure on and and responded to that 10 point uh, surge. And I found that to be to be really impressive. Yeah, I, I did too. Uh, I mean, they outscored, the fact that they outscored the, I mean, it was only a point, but that they outscored the Clippers in the second half uh, says a lot about how badly I think they really wanted to flush that Lakers loss mm. down the toilet, which is great to see, especially when you have a team that's led by a young guy, like just to see him kind of compose himself and bring himself back. Kirk, I think you were the one who said, uh, what was it? You know, Luca talked about how he was, uh, crappy on the boards and you were like he's probably going to come out and get 10 rebounds <laughs> he got nine rebounds in yeah he had five minutes. in the first quarter yeah so like it's really nice to have i know that sometimes it frustrates you when he like when it comes to the threes and he he'll say one thing and then do another but he's been pretty consistent about when he has a bad game he seems to flip that switch immediately uh which is one of his cooler tricks and as a 21 year old star uh, it's that's just really nice to be able to hang your hat on. Um, well, he's he's hyper competitive, and yeah. it's an underrated aspect of pretty much all NBA superstars games. Because for a lot of these guys, the game comes so easy that being and like being a killer, like like the Kobe Bryant, the Dirk mentality. Frankly, Dirk developed it over the course of his career. That sort of thing is just not as common as you might think. It's what separates the the very good from the absolute superstar. And Luca is that guy. And so watching him respond that way, I get a lot of criticism sometimes when I'm hard on Luca, which is funny because I, I I mean I was I kiss Luca's butt. He's my favorite player right now. Like what do we, but it, it it's you know, you expect more from him all the time. And you know, I briefly want to to pivot to something that happened last night. James Harden, I think, had 44 and 17. And it was a fun for watching that game and then watching Luca tonight, it's a fun comparison point in the sense of I still think there's a ton for Luca to do in terms of growth. There's just ways that he's going to continue to improve. You know, the turnaround jumpers that he hit uh, in the mid range tonight is simply not something he's had or he's used at least. And so, you know, watching, we've been kind of complaining about his, his, his size, uh, his rotundness, if you will, which I'm, you know, maybe we're exaggerating, but that size is such a weapon and it's so fun to watch him use it in different ways and, and I just, I don't know, I've been thinking about the Harden thing and the comparison, not because I, I think they're similar players, but in the sense of guys that have the ball that much are just like, they have to continue to justify it in some way. And, and you know, Luca did that tonight and only, I mean, he played 26 minutes, scored 24 points. Like he could have had a triple double if he would have played five more minutes. Oh yeah, he was he was very much back to bubble uh, last season, Luca inside the arc, like just clearing getting making avenues being really crafty in the pick and roll getting the fender on his hip uh and getting some foul calls like it was it was really nice to see you know despite the fact that he had some really good stat lines uh in games one and games two this 
felt different and it felt better in a tangible way that those first two performances, even though he ended up with good numbers, just did it. And I don't know how much of that is just my brain being spoiled by the 51 point win compared to them losing those first two games. But it, I don't know. It just, it, he just looked a little more like first team all NBA Luca and didn't seem to labor as much getting to where he wanted to go and finishing the shots that he wanted to finish you know, outside of the three-pointers, which, you know, that kind of is what mm. it is. Um, I think another thing I want to make a point of before we get out of here, I don't know how much more you wanted to talk about, but, you know, Josh Richardson, we haven't mentioned too much, you know, 21 points uh, on 13 shots. He was really solid all game. Uh, I think a thing that is interesting, the Mavericks had 10 steals uh, today, and they have been kind of a steal team so far mm-hmm. through these first three games. And I think, Richardson brings a lot of that in terms of the type of defensive player he is. And Kirk, we've been watching the team for years and we've been complaining about this forever. The Mavericks defense for years has just been a reactive defense. Uh, it's It goes to their pick and roll scheme, the way that their perimeter players guard. It is very much a, they kind of react to what is happening in front of them instead of forcing the issue. And I feel like Richardson is such a breath of fresh air with the way that he is kind of an attacking defensive player that the Mavericks just haven't had in a very long time. You know, all due respect to the defenders they've had on the rosters the last couple of years, Richardson is just more of a, he, like I said, just more of an aggressive attacking defender that they just haven't had. And I know he only had one steal, but the way he just gets up on, into guys and tries to take away their spots instead mm-hmm. of kind of, letting the player get to his spot and then trying to guard well well it's like that's half the battle like how many times have we watched the Mavericks defense you know shit the bed because they can test well and and after the game everyone's like oh what are you gonna do tip your cap it's like well you don't let these guys get to the spots they want to get to and uh, I think Richardson uh, is a different mentality on that level where he tries to prevent guys from being comfortable at all and that's really refreshing to see and I'm glad he was able to translate that into a, a really big win and, and a really positive impact on the game today. Well, one thing you just said. So the Clippers only had 12 turnovers. That means the Mavericks had 10 live ball turnovers that they took from the Clippers. That's kind of incredible. I mean, that, <laughs> the Clippers didn't make that many offensive mistakes outside of being terrible. Um, just like not <laughs> able to hit shots. And so yeah, that's that's really wild, something to think about. Um, The last thing I really wanted to touch on is, you know, rebounding is such an effort stat. Obviously, it takes guys who want to constantly throw out that effort, like Montrez Harrell. But the Clippers uh, had 36 rebounds to the Mavericks 54. That's basically what the margin was reversed against the Lakers the other night. So it's kind of one of those things where I understand when you you're watching the Mavericks get crushed on the boards, you're thinking they need more rebounding. Maybe they do. I don't know. But what I do know is that that Lakers game is not the best indicator of it because everything that could go wrong did go wrong for almost every single person on the team. And, and, you know, this, uh, this game today was a really good example of that just because, you know, the Mavericks had 11 offensive rebounds. That's not something they're particularly good at. And, and you know, Willie Cauley-Stein had four. I know you're uh, probably people are saying, well, Willie needs to play more. And and maybe he does. I think he's he's earned himself a little more of a chunk in the rotation, at least in, in terms of while we're waiting for KP to come back. So 
oh, there's a lot of positive things to build on from this game. It's also kind of hard to get, you know, to 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 get too super excited because the Clippers are just terrible. Um, but again, you know, the Mavericks come out of this stretch and they're one and two, which, you know, a lot better than zero and three. And then they have, you know, some, some games here that are all, you know, a, a kind of a mixed bag. They play the Hornets who are not great on, on Wednesday. Then on new year's day, they play the heat and the heat always play them really well. Then they play the bulls who are a mess, the rockets who are a mixed bag, Denver, Orlando, like they have some real opportunities in the first half of January um after closing out you know this game here where i think that that we could be looking back at these first two games and say you know what we were we were too upset too quickly you know this is a this is a good team obviously they have some flaws but you know this is they're a work in progress i'd much rather the mavericks start slow and come out and and look great by march and april than you know do what they're doing you know then then win early and then fade late which is frankly what happened last season if we're being honest yeah, I'm right there with you. Just, you know, they got a new guy in the starting lineup. They have a, they don't have Kristaps. Dwight Powell's coming back from Achilles. I mean, there was a lot of, there were a lot of reasons for them to look the way they did these first two games. And I really think, uh, I don't, I don't want to say that they, this is the team that they they can always be, but, you know, if we're looking at these three games and we're saying, who are the Mavericks? I think they're much more closer to the team we saw today than they are the team we saw in those first two games uh, right. i would hope i would hope at least that's that's my half ha, glass half full uh take there i love it okay well this has been josh and kirk we will i'm not sure if we're gonna have anything in the interim between now and the wednesday game um i may try to get on the horn with somebody i know but i don't know with so many games it's kind of hard to talk hoops uh with with someone that that isn't mavericks related because everybody's always busy but we'll see. Uh, this has been uh, Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow with a uh, you know your first season victory of uh, the Mavs Moneyball After Dark podcast. We will talk to you later in the week. <laughs>